studying at uni, a qualification degree, prospects, options, and a decent, desirous job. I'm guessing that's the main reason why you're at uni. Now, as you started your studies, continued, and perhaps coming to completion, I imagine you're hoping, you're hoping, if you can do that, it's a successful one. That's the big part of why I studied. But you and I don't want to just do well at uni. We want to, don't we, be successful in all our endeavours. Take the time, for instance, when a new year rolls around. If you're anything like me, I'm normally kind of casting back and also looking forwards to see where I succeeded and failed and hoping that the year at hand is, is as successful or more so than 20 dot whatever year. But success, what do we mean by it? What would mean you'd say, I've been a successful person this year. I've been a successful Christian. I've done am doing well at uni or at life. We all want to find it. We all want to be successful in some measure, yeah? No one is actually high-fiving the failures, are they? Now, by success, I don't necessarily mean um, becoming a sensation and going right to the top, becoming rich and famous, or uh, being the bright new mind whose ideas move mountains and kind of break new ground in your area of discipline, even being awarded uh, the UTAS um, University Medal for prestigious work, although you might, I'm talking success in the everyday. The everyday. Because that's where it really matters. I'm talking as we finish this semester, start a new one, turn over a new calendar in our year and have all things of our career, our friendships, our relationships, serious or not, our involvement in church, a marriage if it comes, parenting if it happens, Retirement, savings, spendings, all the things, as many aspects of our life go well and be done rightly. In all these areas, don't we want to know and do, decide and act in a way that means what we put our hands to and give our voice to will be a success. That's got to be one source of happiness for us, right? I know it is for me. So how do we uh, live our lives so they turn out well? Not go to rack and ruin. This is the answer that um, uh, many seek. And this is the answer that I think we all seek. And that is the question that the Bible's collection of Proverbs actually wants to answer. The wisdom the Proverbs offers you is all about 
the skill of godly living in respect to God and his people. The skill of godly living in respect to God and his people. In other words, the Bible's collection of Proverbs is designed to show you and me in the on the boots ground practicalities, the in the details of life, how to act, how to do and how to animate ourselves in all the moments and the movements of our days. Now, that's not just in isolation uh, to, to me and kind of my uh, world, but in relationship with and connection to God and all that we come across um, in the various spheres of our life. These proverbs give ways of acting and operating that rightly orient a person to whatever they're confronted with in life, um, in the kind of actual and potential pitfalls that we face. Meaning um, in these various times and in those places, we will talk, we will turn and we will task um, in a way and toward what is right, what is honourable and suitable for that particular setting. That is what Proverbs sees as successful living. What will secure it? See you experience it. Now, I wonder how that might compare to um, your measure or your um, picture of success. Perhaps surprisingly, maybe differently, this is actually what success looks like according to Proverbs and is actually the Christian's um, vision um, for it, for life. I wonder if that's the kind of success that you are aiming for uh, when it comes to uni, when it comes for whatever the year ahead is holding, that maybe you wanted uh, more in the previous year. Um, I know that I do. I know that I did. <laughs> I know that my wife does. And probably the rest of the staff that I work with probably do as well. So here... Where does learning the skill of godly living begin that opens up this way of success? Well, it's not achieved um, or kind of unlocked through doing a special course, um, learning a bunch of tips and tricks and kind of life hacks, um, or following a number of um, daily uh, steps. It's different. So let me help you understand the how to get a successful start. That's my first point, how to, getting a successful start. Where do we start? Well, we start with a foundation that Solomon gives us for gaining the wisdom offered in Proverbs. That was there in verse seven that we read. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, just, just a quick aside, Solomon is taken as the author of Proverbs, um, even though he didn't write every single proverb, they're associated with him. Solomon was um, Israel's wisest king. He was known throughout the world at the time for his wisdom. 
the book is kind of like uh, the king giving his son um, and his people. And so all who would look in a lesson on true wisdom. So you can read about um, Solomon's story in the um, book of Samuel and Kings, if you like. Okay. So Solomon takes us to the fear of the Lord. Now, that's a refrain that will keep coming up in Proverbs. The collection kind of keeps coming to it and coming back to it. It's a bit of a catch cry, if you like. And it's also found throughout the Old Testament, which is the first half of the story of Israel in the Bible. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord is not saying be afraid, be very afraid of God. It doesn't mean be scared of God and that will motivate you enough to be kind of jolted into acting rightly. It's not that, nor is it kind of a a clumsy way of trying to make sure you take everything seriously with sober consideration. Instead, to fear the Lord in the Old Testament is to respond appropriately to the way God has shown himself as creator and redeemer of his people. It carries the notion of kind of humble amazement, reverent awe, of happily entrusting yourself to who God is, what he has said, and his love he's shown in what he's done. In other words, to fear the Lord is to say, God, I hear you, I see your salvation, I see your creation, I believe your words, I respect and love you, and I want to do life your way around you. Having the fear of the Lord as the kind of launching place is where all living will start to be carried out with God in mind, in heart, and with what you put your hand to. Wisdom begins here, you see, and so the skill is only gained this way. In fact, it only can because the fear of the Lord is when humanity, when we put God at the centre of realities and all the practicalities of our lives, not ourselves. His values and virtues, his dislikes and displeasures, his acts of creation and his works of salvation, all set and direct our orientation with all our doings, explorings and explainings in all those kind of movements and moments of life, not ours. And you see, this is actually where um, all the uh, counsels and the conclusions of all the solid solid science to all the kind of self-help books um, won't take you and actually don't place you. That's their lack and gap that they don't feel. So don't look to them to do that. Yet don't reject them for not doing it because that's not necessarily (coughs) a problem. It is actually starting with the fear of the Lord that helps you and I see we are to take all that the world gives us by way of the skills for living and work all of that out with God's perspective and approach in mind. I wonder if you ever um, ever considered, ever kind of wrestled with or, or, or sort of wondered how to take your, your uni course of, of medicine, agriculture, information technology, psychology, Arctic science, 
and Christian living and put them together. Well, this is it. Proverbs wants you to know how to make sure God is at the centre of your day to day. That's the kind of wisdom it wants you to seek. And you know what? Him at the centre actually starts to give a certain shape to your life. Or at least it should. Not a shape that actually has um, God, uh, Christianity, um, the Christian faith kind of allotted certain sections um, or sectors in our life. That sadly actually has been the grief of many when this is the case. But instead, an integrated one. Uni Fellowship, see, Proverbs knows nothing of a compartmentalised life, of a dualistic world. It doesn't hold any view of separation between faith and practice, private belief and public expression, knowing God and figuring out the world. We sometimes see this kind of distorted form when doing and acting Christian or Christianly seems to only kind of happen on the, the Friday nights and the Saturday and the Sundays rather, at, you know, basically uh, when church and kind of youth group is on, but not during the rest of the week. The kind of high days and holidays like Christmas, Easter and other anniversaries. When you or your friend or even your partner feels motivated enough, feels in the spiritual zone. Basically, whatever has the shape of that kind of regular stepping in and stepping out of what is Christian to you. Instead, Proverbs has tied together the fear of the Lord and our day-to-day life in the world. If the two are separated, it actually causes a false, uh, dis, um, false um, distinction and kind of a disordered uh, mindset, you see. And this causes people to lose their bearing and be um, conformed to the pattern of kind of whatever culture is around. Yet, if they're held as one, if we hold them uh, without distinction as boundless, we will see all and every moment of life as the place where we work out how to live with God in his world and among his people and humanity. And you'll actually quickly uh, begin to see how uh, your studies and disciplines at uni are not in separate boxes to your belief, as if there's a secular and sacred divide, but a place actually of working out your faith. And you and I will start to see a godly application in and among all the things. That wisdom is awesome. Don't miss it. This is what Proverbs is giving you, so go after it. So how to get a successful start? Well, fear the Lord. Start there. Secondly, how do we continue and develop our success? So how to? Continuing and developing your success. So what is it like to actually uh, look like to become successful? Well, Proverbs is a book made up of many types 
of sayings, counsels, advices, and instructions. As proverbs, they kind of represent um, short, pithy sayings that communicate a traditional, popular uh, truth. So if, um, if any of you guys want to just flick open to proverbs, I might get you um, to join in for a second here. So take Proverbs 29, verse 23. A person's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly, lowly spirits gains honour. Proverbs 25, 6 to 7. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here than for him to humiliate you before a noble man. Can someone just pick another proverb from anywhere in the book and read it out? Backsliders get what they deserve. Good people receive their reward. Awesome. Another one? If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it and you will vomit. I like that one. (laughs) That's really good. Another one? Uh, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. Great. Cool. That kind of gives you a bit of an idea. (coughs) Now, we have this same sort of idea um, in English, um, and um, if you're from a different country, you've probably got your kind of own ones. But uh, one, for instance, is a stitch in time saves nine. It's a little bit proverbial. Too many cooks spoil the broth. Uh, Chinese one is dig the well before you're thirsty. Uh, Another Chinese one is teach a man to fish. Uh, Can you guys think of any others? That's all right. (laughs) Well, one I I like. Um, uh, It's easier to plead forgiveness after than ask permission before. (laughs) Now, that might not actually be a proverb, but I like applying it to the length of my sermons. Um, So there we go. That kind of gives you a little taste of the the proverbs uh, alike. So remember, starting these kind of proverbs start with the fear of the Lord as then they, they kind of take you through all these areas of life. Now, it can look like uh, the proverbs are actually totally higgledy-piggledy, right? Uh, With kind of no rhyme and no reason. I wonder, have you ever thought about that? Um, Ever thought that way? A bit kind of like last time, the um, the, the Psalms uh, seemed like a whole bunch of random um, diary entries, a bit like that, but we saw it's not actually the case. Um, Well, Similar with Proverbs, um, it, the way it's laid out, its structure does have a sense. It's trying to get its proverbial message of wisdom across uh, by its design. So the way, um, hopefully, to helpfully think about it, it's a bit like this. Um, as you read the Proverbs, it kind of starts off like a king preparing a prince or a father Uh, speaking to a son, an an older man maybe um, having quality time with a younger person. And it's a bit like the father says to the son, the king says to the prince, listen, my son, I want to chat to you about some things. Let's go for a quality time together. Let's go for a coffee somewhere. I want to talk to you about some things. And so he takes his son out, takes him to the coffee shop, and he sits down with him and he says... Son, I've got some things to talk to you about. 
I want you to know that you need to avoid the path of the violent. So I'm going to talk to you about that. I need to talk to you about women. Let me talk to you about what a wife should be like. Now let me talk to you about the kind of friends that you hang out with. And so the father shares the wisdom to the son, but then they finish at the coffee shop and then they walk home. And as we move through the book, the father says, hey son, you see that house over there? I need to tell you about the woman who lives at that house. Her name is Madame Folly. And I need to tell, warn you about Madame Folly. And I need to warn you about the dangers of prostitution. I need to tell you about what's wise and foolish. And then the son and the father continue to walk. And then they see someone across the street and they're talking. It says, son, I need to... You see that? You see what's going on there? I'm going to give you a bit of a proverb. I'm going to give you some idea of how you should use your tongue. You see the way they're, they're fighting? You see the way they're talking? It's a bit like that. It's like you're, you're kind of out looking around the world and seeing what's happening as the, the, the king teaches the son. And so <clears throat> at the same time, all these kind of various sayings sort of jump around different topics, right? They all seem like that kind of random. But what's going on there is that they're trying to kind of capture the mix and the changing moments and the complexities and, and the bitsiness of the day-to-day -day life that you find yourself in. You know, it's a bit like you're in Lays and Bees, you're having a coffee, and then someone comes and sits down, and then suddenly you're in this setting. And so then this kind of wisdom from this particular part of Proverbs applies. And then the friend leaves and then you get up and you walk out and you go into class and you have this conversation. And then this kind of other proverb and this wisdom comes into play and you're jumping between all these different things. You encounter that girl or that guy who's maybe coming on to you or not coming on to you. And then it's like, well, how do I engage with that? Well, this wisdom, this bit of proverb comes into play. That's kind of how it's doing it's 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 showing the way life moves and its bitsiness so with that in mind how do we um, practice the proverbs to kind of grow in this skill of successful living well firstly how not to practice them okay let's start there knowing how to not use the proverbs will help us with how to practice them and so apply them to our lives now, the Proverbs, unfortunately, um, have often been misinterpreted. The wisdom here, like those Proverbs we read out, <clears throat> it's not given as law, okay? Um, they're not commands. It's easy to see how um, this kind of mistake can be made. The way the Proverbs are kind of constructed um, and presented, uh, and also often the way... They can be taught or quoted can kind of give you the idea that they're sort of written as a um, ton of rules for life. Yeah. Um, but all these kind of sayings don't operate like the the fine print of the Sinai law, like a list of ethical detailings of uh, the Ten Commandments um, or like an explanatory memorandum. Um, you know, that you might get from work when they kind of list all the things to do. Now, if we, if we kind of read them like that, 
will actually tend um, to kind of end up, at least in our head, without realising it, making kind of a flow chart or sort of decision tree from them, which is not really the way they're designed to do. So what happens, right, is this. Um, we get to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4, and we read, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him yourself. And you go, have I encountered a fool? Well, they're talking a bit like that. Yes. Are they speaking foolishly? Uh, Yes. Conclusion. Well, don't answer or you'll be shown as a fool. Great. But then it becomes a headache, right? Because then you go to this next proverb and it says, answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be wise in his own, or he will be wise in his own eyes. And so you go, have you encountered a fool? Yes. Are they speaking foolishly? Yes. Conclusion, do answer them according to their foolishness. So what do, what do we do with that? Well, if you kind of go down that path and you take that approach, at best you'll kind of simply um, pick and choose what works or makes sense for you when it comes to the Bible. Um, At at worst, we'll entirely kind of just miss the wisdom being offered. And in between the two, you'll just find yourself confused and frustrated because the Bible seems contradictory and less reliable and less relevant in certain places. You see, the Proverbs are actually naming what is generally true, not absolute. Kind of like what is best practice in going with the grain of creation and God's purposes in the on the boots, um, on the ground practicalities. you'll actually end up tying yourself in knots if you um, take the Proverbs as kind of uh, blanket law style statements, okay? The, The Proverbs are the kings, if you like, distilling of wise living, maybe containing the wise experiences of one or many scenarios of life rather than containing the sum of wisdom itself handed right to you on a platter okay so that's how not to practice them and then that moves us to how to practice them and so to continue and develop success well instead Solomon is showing you and I the way we go about learning wisdom okay so it's about the way we go about learning wisdom Successful living comes as you read them as regularly as you can, soak in, soak them in, kind of mull over the multifaceted ways that we orientate ourselves in those kind of uh, movements and moments of life, of the situation and um, kind of experiences that we see captured in these verses, in these sayings. Our practice of doing what is right, honourable and suitable starts then to be expressed, kind of profiled, if you like, as we do that. And also as we get to know the characters throughout the book, 
like Lady Wisdom and Madam Folly, the righteous and the wicked, the wise man and the fool, the sluggard and the diligent, and the list goes on. You see, they all give us a vision of a life rooted or not rooted in relation to the fear of the Lord. They provide us with kind of certain categories and compass points. These characters, along with all their sayings, are there to form our feelings, sharpen our thinking, pinpoint our kind of vices and cultivate our virtues. They give us prior warnings and encouragements of where our actions will generally land us. And so they offer us a wise perspective on life, on what it means for me as a husband, father, human, (laughs) to get up, get ready, get out the house this morning, be at breakfast, be around others at work and the rest of the day in all the web of relationships and scenarios that I encounter. For in the conversations that you find yourself at the tutorial, at the friend's party, at the church event, over, say, (coughs) study approaches, work choices, that live issue, you'll then know what the best way forward is. The wise thing to do is to know if the person warrants a reply from you as you see that they're actually blinkered in their own understanding. Perhaps it's best to not actually say much. Proverbs 26.4, maybe. Don't answer a fool. Or when the conversation comes about with a friend who clearly has a blind spot, driven by naivety about the scope or the nature of the thing, you'd probably be very happy to, actually, and keen even to explain to them and to correct their understanding. Perhaps Proverbs 26.5, do answer a fool, comes into play. Now, I can kind of get that this can be hard to wrap your head around, and that's okay. We're often just so used to having something to do and not do. Please tell me in 140 characters or less, uh, you know, the right thing to do. However, Proverbs says to you, know God as your saviour and creator. Know all of life is understood from this perspective with his purposes as creator. See the order, see the disorder in the world that he's created. See the web of relationships in the mix. Now act and do what works that behaves in the way of life, whatever that looks like in your context. And as we come to know this wisdom personally, not merely about the Proverbs, you'll put this social skill into action. We can maybe have some questions after a bit more about that. So we've seen that Proverbs invites us to the successful life by showing us the skill of godly living in respect to God and his people. So how to 
first how-to was getting accessible start, fear of the Lord. The second how-to was continuing and developing your success. And lastly, in the last five minutes, how to achieve success. So what's the goal of Proverbs? Well, we've been thinking about Proverbs among Israel under Solomon. He was the wise man of all wise men, the wisest, the wisest Messiah, the wise king of Israel. He wants us to fear the Lord in all areas, beginning and ending there. Why is that? Well, so you will be a person in right relationship with all around. And so enjoy life as it should be, working with the grain of the world that God has created and the relationships that cause it to flourish. Yet tragically, Solomon moved away from the foundation of the fear of the Lord. And so he actually began a national slide from true wisdom and abundant living. Little by little, Israel abandoned her fear of the Lord. And the call rang out again and again to be wise, to listen, my son, to Israel. Take, for instance, the popular passage from Micah. He is showing you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Am I still to forget, O wicked house, your ill-gotten treasures and the short ether which is accursed? Shall I acquit a man with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Her rich men are violent, her people are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. And it goes on. You see, all the times Israel is called back is not simply about how they have broken the law. It's as much about their foolishness and their failure to be wise and live wisely. It's a call to wisdom. Listen, listen, my son. Their public and private and national lives actually end up picturing a life not fearing the Lord. Proverbs is actually in everything in the Old Testament story. And it's actually in everything in the New Testament for that matter. Yet Israel progressively reduced wisdom to its lowest form, a strict and uncompromising minutia of the law. Rather than focusing on the reverence and the intimacy that sits behind wisdom, Israel became fixated um, on rigid obedience and ritual. And they started codifying everything you see. You have heard it written, fills up their way of doing, colouring much of the grey of life in black and white. And the worst offenders were arguably the Pharisees and the scribes that created kind of a distorted, shriveled form of wisdom that they held to bring success. But it didn't. And, and just as a side, some churches, a few maybe even in Hobart, incline too much to this. Their prime motivator and framework has forgotten wisdom and it keeps wanting to codify and prescribe all the things in life. And it actually shrinks the Christian message, shrivels the Christian life, and it can make it kind of cold and narrow to inhabit. 
Yet it was not just a them and Israel problem. It's a human one, as in fact, Adam was the first to seek wisdom, a way of success outside of God. And that had tragic consequences for us all. After suppressing any truth and fearing the Lord, we read in Romans 1 about our society and our species. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. We are all too happy, as the proverb says, to be wise in our own eyes and work out our way of success according to our field of vision. Beginning and ending actually with a fearlessness towards God. But then the train wreck. A withered form of wisdom meets with the creator of wisdom, Jesus. In the Gospels, we see Israel's leaders confronted by him and also us, our wisdom, against Jesus. How so? Well, it's not a clash because Jesus brings radical new thoughts, a totally new philosophical outlook, or um, 12 unheard principles for uh, living your best life now, but because in all his doings and sayings, he orients himself rightly, honourably and suitably toward what was before him. Jesus takes captive Judaism's familiar wisdom forms and imparts them as one who has authority, their author. In the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' summation of the law, he continues and develops fully the idea of what it looks like to live successfully. He's not merely a wise man, but the very source of wisdom. That's different. In him, we see the reality of, of Proverbs 8, a really big proverb. In him, we see the skill of godly living enacted, perfectly enacted and inhabited in relation to God and people. This is the Proverbs finding its best and fullest expression. Jesus is the wise man. He's the wise son. He's the wise king. He's the one greater than Solomon, the new Solomon, who calls his listeners, calls you and I, come and build your life on my words and the way of working it out and walking the successful life. It's not actually surprising then that scribes and the Pharisees see it as the practice of failure and foolishness. They reject him and his wisdom because it doesn't fit with their uh, distorted and shriveled form um, of godliness and what they actually think it means to fear the Lord. Jesus's um, words and ways, well, they actually end up look like, looking like blasphemy and lawlessness and disobedience. He is, he's grey where they're black and white and he's sometimes black where they're white and he's sometimes white when they're black and he's silent when they want him to talk and he talks when they don't want him to and he does when they don't want him to and he does not when they think that he should. Have you ever noticed that? That's wisdom in action. You pick any part of the story of Jesus and you will see 
proverb after proverb after proverb at play. You see, he's not just correcting where they've gone wrong with the law. He's showing them wisdom. And it was holding fast to the wise living, ultimately, that set Jesus on a path to destruction. That did actually end up being successful. His wisdom was foolishness to fools, and they crucified him for it. Yet it is, is, yet it is his foolish action on the cross that took and replaced humanity's foolishness. Our failure to do and act well in relation to God and people. He gives us his perfect success. The one who lived well for us, making the right decisions in all the things in our place. A wisdom outside of ours. That's what we need. That's what humanity needs. That's what you need. So Jesus and his cross is wisdom and actually becomes our wisdom and the way into successful living and that is where wisdom is sought and gained in jesus and in his gospel is the way that you are now invited to fear the lord to choose a different path from the teachers and the um, scribes both ancient and contemporary And to listen carefully to the wisdom that we see through the Gospels in Jesus. One that actually will sound and look like foolishness to the world. One that looks like a faulty approach to doing life compared to those we encounter. Ones whose message is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent, I will frustrate. The Proverbs in Jesus did that. Life around the uni fellowship, and if you're a Christian, um, the way you behave should in many ways be confounding to the onlooker, right? That's okay. That's wisdom at play. So life with Jesus has wisdom as central, key to the Christian uh, life, and of course ours as a uni society. Now James in his New Testament letter exhorts his readers um, to demonstrate wisdom by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. By the way, James is kind of just like a sermon on Proverbs, by the way. (laughs) So read it. Um, It's great that way. And he says, be doers. Doers of the word, not just hearers. You see that? It's all of wisdom. And Paul encourages those in Philippi to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a call to wisdom and success. And both Paul and James call to seek wisdom, to to seek it from the Father and to ask for the gift of wisdom, to name but a few. And I could go on. But the wisdom the Proverbs offers through Jesus' successful Um, life is a vision I think that is actually um, one um, as we compare it to others that's that's more consistent ordered and other person-centered than I think the acumen of atheism and the wisdom of proverbs is more connected concrete and freeing than the counsel of the path of buddhism and I think it's more objective authentic and stable than the sages of agnosticism. 
That is those who don't know if there's a God or not. Because this wisdom is life-giving. It's a wisdom where life in its fullness is found and a source of happiness not knowing anywhere else. So, success comes to us now as we pick up all these proverbial sayings and see them through the lens of Jesus the wise man, giving us an integrated gospel-shaped life, giving us now and for the next year ahead a way of how to act, how to do, how to animate ourselves in all our ministry uh, moments and mission endeavours here and in all our movements of the day out there that will actually make us a successful people who actually know what it is to truly, actually, really start to succeed in all we do.